to the Max Finance Podcast, where a certified financial planner and personal finance geek discuss how to make intentional financial decisions to maximize your money and achieve your goals. Well, welcome, everybody. Today is a, is a really fun episode, in my opinion, because we will be talking about the top three recommendations to be financially successful. And I think it starts with understanding the definition of what financially successful means and kind of moving on from there, going on to our top three, each of us have got top three and perhaps giving some examples uh, across various uh, stages of life and where people can potentially utilize and and make the most out of these recommendations. Um, We haven't discussed uh, our top three ahead of time. So very interested and curious to hear what you have to to say on this topic, Lauren. And then after uh, our top three, uh, would like to go through and give recommendations or turn back the clock. You know, if if we had to turn back the clock and and talk to our 10-year younger self, what advice would we give each other there? So uh, without further ado, I'd love maybe to dive into what financially successful means uh, to you, Lauren. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to start with the, the definition of financially successful. You know, that's, a, that's kind of a tough one and something I spend a lot of time thinking about. I don't still don't know if I have a super crisp answer, but, you know, I think being financially successful is having the ability to, to live the lifestyle that you want and to be able to financially support it. So it's kind of broad and vague, but I think that's really it. And I think it's up to each person to decide what is the, the life that they, that they want. And I think being successful is just being able to achieve what you want. So yeah, that's sort of my kind of definition of financially successful and sort of what I use when I was thinking about the kind of top three recommendations of, of, of how to get there. Yeah, I think that that really is, is, a, is a good framing for it. My perception when I first thought about this and when we, when we first kind of talked about what we wanted this topic to look like, we started with the term financial success and wanted to reframe it in being you know, what, what does it mean to be financially successful? Just in recognition that I think that this is not necessarily a destination that could look very different to different people. And and the first thing that crossed my mind is, is, and you know, my younger self would be like, Oh, just again, swimming in a pile of money, that's financial Mm -hmm. success. But more realistically, that's, that's not necessarily, maybe it's being able to take the assignments or projects or jobs that you want, or maybe it's some other, uh, you know, being able to afford that family vacation or being able to retire at a certain age or whatever financial goals look like to you. That's the key uh, element in in differential versus just, Hey, you made it, which I I think might be a, maybe some foreshadowing into what we'll be getting into, but did you have any other elements that you wanted to bring into the definition to help set the scene? I mean, not really other than just, yeah, based kind of on what you're saying, I, I totally agree. It's not a, it's not really an end state. It's a, it's definitely a, a journey and sort of a, a state of being. I think uh, you can be financially successful in all stages of your life, you know, even if you're not retired on a boat um, in the middle of the Mediterranean, you know, I think being financially successful is uh, at this stage of life, being able to, to do what you want while still, you know, uh, working towards making progress towards the life that you ultimately want to have. And, and so with that being said, do you want to um, maybe kick it off with our first recommendation? Sure. Yeah. So I think the first piece of advice or first recommendation is um, for me, I think it's really important that everyone set goals for themselves, but, and that they really think about what goals are right for them. So 
you know, setting goals and choosing them yourself. Talk about that a little bit more. I think if you don't have any any goals in mind, you're unlikely to to make any kind of meaningful progress or, or growth in any kind of area. So I think it's just important to kind of spell out what exactly you want. And then that's really important for you to be able to make progress and get closer to that goal. Half of that is choosing them yourself. And I think that's actually probably just as much important as, as the goal itself is obviously you have to really want that goal and, and believe in that goal. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people tend to just pick their goals based on what everyone else picks as a goal or what society tells them or what the government tells them of what retirement age is, for instance. But I think each person is unique and, and has de- very different kind of desires. And if you I think if everyone were to think a little bit introspectively of like what gives them joy and what do they really like spending, spending their time doing, I think people will come up with goals that are quite different. And I think it's really important to, to identify that and acknowledge it and make that part of part of your goals, not just kind of doing what everyone else is doing, you know, buying a house, retiring at a certain age, this and that, you know, I think it's just important about what is important to you um, and working towards that. Yeah, well said. I, I was just about to ask, you know, what what are some examples of, of a financial goal? Because that's often used. To, I'm sure people have heard that thrown around everywhere, but but it, it can maybe feel a little vague. Um, and so having some some examples are, are, yeah. are really great. Like you said, buying a home, retiring. Um, I'm just trying to think of some some off the wall kind of goals that I heard. It could be something as simple as uh, just wanting to spend more time with family, uh, something more traditional, you know, sending your setting aside some dollars to help out your child with college mm-hmm. education. You know, it, it could be, you know, setting aside some funds to maybe you're a wine connoisseur and you, you know, you've always wanted to go to Napa, you know, when the, when the pandemic and, the, and all of the travel restrictions lift, uh, you know, or maybe that's do taking more international trips, you know, it's it's not all always about what the long term most responsible is because there's always this balance between spending today and saving for tomorrow and, and the sacrifice that's required on either end when you make that decision. They have implications, but uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Having having some milestone or something to really shoot for to keep you accountable along the way is is very important. Yeah, no, I totally agree. You brought up a good point, which I hadn't really spent a lot of time thinking about, but in terms of the timeline of the goals, I do I do think it's probably important to, you know, have goals kind of along multiple timelines. I think, you know, if you only had short term goals, I, I think that's certainly a little bit of a missed opportunity. I do think it's a little it's important to think further into the future as well. And I think the challenge, like you said, is, is how do you balance achieving or making progress towards a short-term goal versus a long-term goal? Because oftentimes, you know, they might kind of vie for limited resources, right? Time, energy, money. And so I do think thinking about both of them at the same time or being aware that you want to achieve this long-term goal in 10 years, you want to do this, uh, but next year you want to do this. That's challenging, but I think that's 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 important. Yeah. Some examples of other goals, you know, I think kind of just more straightforward and, and common and I think very uh, worthwhile goals are things like paying off student loans, for instance, or any kind of debt that you have is a good kind of short to medium term goal, obviously, depending on the size of, of the, that debt and kind of your earning power. There's things like providing for a family member or something like that. And then there's, you know, I think some of the some of the goals that really get people excited are like, you know, taking a year off to go travel around the world, right? Taking a really long sabbatical, uh, go buying a boat and, you know, tra- sailing around, sailing around the Mediterranean, like I said. 
think those are the, some of the goals that get people really, really excited and um, get people really energized. But yeah, I think goals come in all shapes and sizes. And I think for people that if they haven't really spent the time and sat down to think about them, they would probably come up with some ones that, that weren't super obvious. But now that they kind of recognize them, they're like, oh yeah, like this this is something that I really want to do. And they can definitely have some, some confidence and certainty in it. Yeah. So it's really around dreaming about what's important to you, your preferences, your tastes, and perhaps taking in consideration those around you, your family, and you know, again, who, envisioning what that could look like. I, I don't want to go to the next one, but my, I think maybe a 1A to this one could be once you have dreamt and maybe put it all out there and wrote it down and, and you have it somewhere, maybe start to think about what's, what's higher priority than another. I don't know if that was one of them that you're about to say, prioritizing those, but I think that that could be a good next step as people are just taking some time. And, and you know, depending on your lifestyle and, or your, your life stage, I should say, that those goals can change. And, sure. you know, those who are in accumulation mode and, and, you know, building up, there's often a lot of goals that enter the fold. You know, maybe it's setting aside monies for, for getting married and, and uh, you know, having a honeymoon or, you know, having children, buying a home, you need a car, all of these things that are, that are larger, um, you know, and, and, and maybe a couple years down the line, they could look a lot different. But uh, yeah, I think, think, understanding what those what those milestones look like and uh and potentially kind of putting some prioritization around them so that uh as you say limited resources can can be best uh optimized for the one that's might be a higher priority sure yeah i think that's like a really good point about um goals can change i think that's totally okay i think as you know as uh we get older we learn more or just life happens and i think that's totally fine i think we should accept that. And I think though, what is really great though, is in, in most circumstances, if you are saving for a goal, I assume, or some way, you know, you can shift your, your focus or prior chain priority, or even completely eliminate a goal and progress that you've made towards that goal can oftentimes be then, you know, uh, kind of utilized towards the next goal, right. You know, uh, assuming that obviously if you had a very short-term goal of buying a something that required a lot of cash, but you know, you put all your money into some tax deferred retirement account, well, that's going to make it harder, maybe a little bit expensive to get that. But for the most part, if you, you know, you can move money around and allocate it to different things. So I think that kind of, for me, illustrates the importance of, of having goals, because even if it's, even if it's, you're not hundred percent exact on like what it's or certain of what it is, the fact that you have a goal is going to put you in a much better place in a year, two years, when you do figure out what that ultimate kind of goal is. And so I think uh, having more goals, definitely much better than having no goals, right? If you have no goals, and then two years later, you're like, oh, this is what I wanted to do. And like, okay, these last two years, I didn't have any goal. I, I kind of just been treading water. I, I, you know, so I think definitely having at least a few goals and if they're not perfect, that's totally fine. I think, you know, just adjust as you go. And, um, that's, yeah, you're, st you're still going to be in a much better place. Yeah. I like that. You know, if you, if you were to obviously lock that up in retirement and, and, and that could be one thing, but I was just thinking about like, if, if woodworking, if you were wanting to get into woodworking and build out a, like a shed and buy all of these tools and stuff like that, there's typically a, a value in those. And, and maybe you, you're like, ah, I, I don't, maybe don't have enough time to get into it. And, but I bought all of this stuff and usually those have a value and, and, and you're able to, to take the value out of those, sell them, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's, it's a good lesson learned, you know, maybe you shouldn't have bought 
all of this, all of the gear ahead of time and, and maybe just one thing at a time and kind of proven out the idea first before that. But again, and this is life, you know, you're just going to go through these things. We're not going to be able to do everything perfectly and optimize to the nth degree that we'd love to. But, uh, yeah, just, just give yourself that flexibility of, you may not get it right out the gate. Yeah, absolutely. Should we jump into to your first uh, your first piece of advice or recommendation? Sure. Yeah, and and this one, I mean, it's it's so I would think um, I'm sure everybody's heard it before, but I think it, it it dovetails really nicely with what we just talked about on the goal side, which is uh, living below your means, uh, even if you don't have. A goal like a, a set goal uh, in play. Maybe you're just out of college, and and you know people are telling you you got to start saving for retirement, and you know you, again you don't have all of these things very fleshed out. Giving yourself the flexibility down the road to pursue and have the flex, you know, whatever it may be that you want to do is, is super important. And so living below your means is such a critical component of that. What does that mean to you? Well, yeah. So I was just going to ask. I mean, I I think it is kind of a what's the word? Um, it's a phrase that's kind of used over and over again. And so I do kind of, uh, wanted to talk about what that means and uh, maybe for our listeners who, you know, maybe haven't heard this term before, like what, what does that mean? Um, what does it mean to me kind of on a very basic level? It's really, you know, spending less money than you earn essentially. I mean, I guess even after taxes, I guess kind of as a technical standpoint, like I guess spending less money than your take home pay essentially. Right. Like at the end of the month, not spending every single dollar that you earned that month. And so, uh, I think more broadly living below your means, it's, I mean, I guess it's really the same thing, but it's, it's making conscious choices and having a lifestyle that it doesn't cost just one notch below what you could live if, if you wanted to spend every single dollar. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah, I'm curious if you have a, a certain kind of number in mind in terms of percentage that you should, you know, save or something like that. I mean, obviously that's going to probably depend on people's circumstances and their goals, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I interpret that. But yeah, I'm curious as to what, how, how you think about that, that phrase on the meaning of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I like the definition that you've you've said. It's it's making sure that there are dollars left at the end of the month, or whatever the frequency that you're getting paid, that you're not you know maxing out and then going above and beyond the uh, the threshold there by taking out your know, credit cards or debt or stuff like that. So yeah, it's again often easier said than done because you need to know how much you're bringing in. And that's, that's super important. How much is coming in the door? And then that could be probably its own recommendation is like just having a general awareness of what it costs to live. Mm -hmm. It's, it's funny. The amount of people that I talk to, regardless of their income level, it is such a mystery. And Mm. this is one of the biggest things to try to figure out, uh, for, uh, you know, different companies and sure. very different, various different ways to do this resources. Uh, one of the most popular is probably mint.com, a personal capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are free options. Um, I, I believe you need a budget called YNAB might have a free option. You tell they me. Don't, they, do, they do not. They have a they free trial. Yeah. It's, we can definitely have a whole other episode on something like this. Uh, I personally use, you need a budget and it's much more than just a kind of a tracker. It's, you know, more of a active way to budget money, but it definitely does, you know, tell you, it will tell you how much money you spend and you'll know just because you're looking at it all the time and interacting with it. But yeah, I think those main personal capital, if you want sort of a automated hands-off kind of approach, will tell you how much money you're spending. If you want to 
know exactly which categories uh, you're spending in. It will try to tell you as well, but oftentimes doesn't get it perfectly right. And so, you know, if you want to get it perfectly right, you kind of need to go through it and you know maybe make some corrections. But yeah, those are great options. Mm-hmm. And there's others out there. Um, the, you know, the, the the founders and, and creators of Mins spun off and did their own after they got their payday and made Monarch Money, a very similar tool. Mm-hmm. It's, it's maybe a little different different flavor. And again, the point being is that each tool, and, and again, this could be a, a, its own episode, but the, just kind of a flavor of some of the, the things that you can use to get understanding of what it costs to live, uh, which is very helpful in the march to spending uh, less than you're making, uh, because if you don't have an idea of, of where those numbers are coming in, you could just be blindly doing that and spending at or above your means. Another free, simple way: if you have one bank account and you just you just look at the statement. I mean, I was just, yeah, that's a great point. I was just going to say, like, I think uh, that's another really great option too. You know, I think people probably overlook that, but uh, yeah, if you have all your money coming into one banking account and you spend all of it using your debit card or you know ATM or write checks out of it, and you don't use credit cards, it should be pretty simple, right? You can look at your uh, balance at the end of the month, and it should be higher than the balance at the end of the last month, and then you should it should tell you how much all the money that came in and how much all the money came out. It should think, think those, it usually tells you that. So that's a very simple way, especially for people who are just kind of, uh, you know, getting started in, uh, you know, managing their own money. And so you may see through this process that, oh my gosh, like we are spending slightly more and these, these different things throughout the month are really adding up to be quite a big category. And so you can start to see some of the categories that uh, you're spending your money on through, again, through these various methods or uh, a lot of cards uh, if you're using credit cards or maybe I've seen some bank accounts do this as well where they do classify and you're able to see either an annual statement. Um, and there's some anomalies that come along the way. I mean, you, you know, maybe you're moving or you took a trip or something like that, but but on average, you know, kind of what does it cost to live? Trying to answer that can help us understand, all right, how do we make sure we're, we're living um, below our means. And to your other point about, is there a specific rule of thumb or benchmarks? And maybe this is a great question. And again, it totally, it depends on what you're trying to do, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to maybe shoot for 10%, you know, or, or maybe it's 5% or, or if you're, if you're maybe overspending, it's just important to start to bring that, you know, ratchet that down. And that can, you know, going from, you know, overspending by five or 10% to saving 10%, that's a huge move. And so it's important to make a sustainable change, not a, we need to just cut back everything and just kind of go back to exactly to where you were because it's not sustainable. So you just got to slowly find places and bring it down. Maybe it's 1% a month. Maybe it's, you know, if you could do more, great. And you feel okay about it, great. But let's, you know, let's not really overtax because you will feel it. You definitely will feel it going from a five or 10% to, to saving 10%. So, you know, I, I like the approach of what you're talking about in terms of, you know, starting somewhere and, and then doing your best to try to improve it little by little, maybe month by month, you know? And so, you know, it doesn't really matter if you start at saving 5% or start at saving 15%. I mean, you're going to reach some kind of limit eventually. And so, you know, if you you increase your savings by 1% a month, um, whether you reach that, you know, ceiling in, 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 
12 months versus 18 months, it's not going to make a huge difference in terms of uh, your overall kind of amount that you have saved. So I think the important part is kind of getting started and building that mindset and then, you know, building that feedback mechanism because yeah, you will have to track it and stuff. And so I think just the act of tracking it will make you have, uh, you know, it'll, it'll make you more conscious of your spending and, and where you spend your money on. And it will, yeah, I think you're much more like that you'll kind of achieve those goals. So yeah, I say pick five, ten percent if you're not saving anything, maybe yeah, maybe five percent and then just try to increase it by one percent every month or two until it gets really, really hard, you know, and then you can kind of reevaluate and stuff. But maybe maybe that's a good spot to kind of to keep it at. Yeah. And, and so obviously we're, we're kind of looking at it from, and this is how most people are. It's like, I'm getting paid a certain wage over time and I need to, to kind of look at expenses critically. There could be the situation where maybe you get a good job, maybe, maybe your first job, or maybe you're getting a promotion or whatever it is. This is kind of, we're talking about the lifestyle creep. How do we minimize that? You know, maybe keeping spending the same and, and just taking that bonus or whatever those, those new dollars coming into the fold here and setting up perhaps automated transfers on that frequency of whenever you're getting paid and just putting them into a separate account. And when I say separate account, not just a savings account at the same institution, maybe you're putting it in another institution entirely so that, that it is harder uh, and uh, taking advantage of how, how challenging it can be moving money from one to another. And, and there's that just that barrier there so that you have, uh, whether you're building out that emergency fund or you're, you're just saving money just to have money to give yourself the flexibility down the road for whatever goal that may occur. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I think about um, you know some of the one of the advantages of a of a young person who maybe just came out of college, for instance, as an example, you know they made they're not earning very much, but their special power is that they've been living presumably on a, on a quite a on a pretty small kind of annual budget and living expenses, right? Like in college, probably didn't have a lot of money, and now their first job, they you know they're having to live on a small salary, right? presumably. And so that is like a superpower is, is being able to be comfortable, right? I mean, people are very adaptable and they can find comfort in, in kind of whatever their circumstances is up to a point. And so I think that is a very special power is that if you're, if you're relatively young and you have uh, relatively low expenses, as you uh, progress in your career or in whatever you're doing and your earning power goes up, the special ability to, to not to try to keep that your lifestyle and, and your annual expenses in that same ballpark. And I think that has been one of the kind of very, very instrumental methods or I don't say just been an instrumental strategy for, for my wife and I in terms of, you know, we've been able to kind of increase our income quite a bit over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, but we really haven't increased our expenditures a whole lot. And so, um, yeah, every time we got in a raise or switched jobs, for instance, we really didn't, we, you know, because we had a, we're using a budget. It would we would require a conscious decision. Do we want to increase our spending in this area? So I think just having a, a budget and a goal for how much you're spending will force you to make a conscious decision of like, well, do I want to spend more money or not? But kind of the default behavior would be, okay, I'm earning more. It's just going to become more in savings, for instance. Yeah, I think that's uh, just something that's a really a great benefit of someone who's. Uh, yeah, starting out, and uh, that's, that's always the hardest thing I think is is people who get used to custom to to very kind of nice and expensive things. It's can be very hard to kind of get removed some of those from. And then also, I think there's a stigma around it, which is just a terrible, right? Like if if your friends or family see that you like sold this expensive car because uh, you just 
you realize you didn't need it, they're going to look at you like, wow, they must be really struggling, right? Like, oh, they're, but actually it's completely the opposite. It's like, well, actually they've, they've realized like they, they, yeah, they made a mistake. They bought something they didn't need, but they've realized that mistake. And now they're like on a better path, but people would think like they're drowning and they're like, going to go bankrupt or, you know, no, that's kind of extreme, but you know, so it's, which is, I think that's, the, that's the hard, maybe the hardest part about something like that is the, um, the appearances of that sometimes, especially when it comes to houses and, and cars and just kind of visual, you know, things that people can see that's, that's hard. That's leading to one of mine. So I want to put a pin on that one and would love to hear, uh, your second recommendation. Well, why don't we, we can just go into yours. Let's go into mine. mine. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Why not? Sure avoid consumerism or materialism. And I think that with a lot of documentaries coming out and maybe a shift in thinking, uh, I just remember growing up, and this is coming from an only child, and, and my parents showed affection by giving me thanks. And so that having that relationship and those money scripts growing up can really have a have a difficult time when you get out into the world and and you're finally making some money. So it is this is classically the keeping up with the Joneses, just as you said, you know, having the flashy cars, uh, you know, buying the expensive property and and you know, you don't want to be house poor, you don't want to be car poor or it's just like understanding the the, the Marie Kondo, does this spark joy uh in my life. And, and if, if not, and if it was just fleeting, uh, why did I buy it? And so again, you don't have to be perfect. And this is just something that we just continue as, as we go on. And, and, um, I remember listening to this minimalism podcast and, and, yeah. uh, you know, each, each person maybe has their thing that they're like, even, even them where they're like, I, I feel okay spending money on this, um, or, or maybe not buying all of the clothes, but maybe really nice shirt or something like that, that I'll, I'll wear for a long time or many years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just being very intentional uh, about what, what actually moves the needle in your life. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, uh, it's definitely a challenge. I think that many people face continuously and it's something that, you know, I also like, it's, I, I'm not, I haven't escaped it. I'm always working towards thinking about if I buy this thing, how much enjoyment will I get out of it? And, you know, one of the ways sometimes I try to think about it, like, well, how many times am I going to use this thing? And so how much am I paying per, per use of it? And is it really going to help? Um, and also just kind of thinking back, okay, well, I bought this other thing that was similarly expensive. Well, how do I feel about it six months later, for instance? Yeah. A good tip I've heard is just, you know, put it in your wish list or, you know, put it, write it down and then come back like, three weeks, four weeks later, for instance, some period of time and still see how you feel about it. Like try to avoid buying expensive things or high dollar amount things, um, impulsively. Right. And so obviously if it's a $5 purchase, okay, make it impulsively. If it's a $20 purchase, maybe think about it once, but then decide. And then if it's a $300 purchase, yeah, maybe think about it for a few weeks. And then, you know, the, the greater the amount is probably the more time you should give yourself to, to really think if that's something you want. But I was going to say one one thing that I found uh, very actually very helpful and allows me to be kind of I guess uh, to kind of get that rush of consumerism is to give myself like a little allocation like a small budget of money that I can freely spend that so my wife and I we each get a small budget every month you know maybe like a few hundred dollars something like that obviously depending on your income maybe that's fifty dollars maybe that's twenty dollars maybe it's a hundred two hundred dollars but giving yourself that freedom and it's, a, it's like a strict allocation that we actually each have our own like checking account basically and so we don't even know what they're spending on and, and there's no way that 
we can overspend in this account and affect other finances. And it's also great for buying each other gifts and stuff too. And it, it's great. It's like, it's really invigorating being able to spend $200 on something that is just completely unnecessary. And especially in my wife's eyes, she'd be like, what, like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't really know, but you know, I have whatever, $500 in this account. And you know, I, if it's $200, like it's fine. Like, and so it's, it allows me to, to kind of make things purchase impulsively if, if I want to. And I, I don't, I don't regret very much because it doesn't impact our other other goals. And so I think if if you're, once you're able to kind of get your savings goals kind of in, in in place, I really recommend giving yourself a small budget every month or whatever, and and letting yourself kind of spend unrestrictedly within that within there, and it kind of gives you uh, gives you that, that that freedom to exercise that that muscle, and it feels good. And but yeah, you, I think you'll still find opportunities to to do it better. But uh, it's a good way to balance both priorities, kind of fun and and long term goals. Yeah, I love that. Well, very well said. Um, and, and just breaking down uh, a little bit in terms of uh, you're you're leveraging what's called mental accounting, right? You have a separate account, so all dollars can go in this one account, and money is fungible, and you could. Uh, for the most part, I mean, there might be some tax advantage accounts where uh, you might not necessarily be able to, to get access to uh, on purpose. But by leveraging multiple accounts, you can quickly see how much money is as you're giving, you know, directing dollars from maybe your main account, your joint account into these these smaller accounts. And you could say, okay, hey, I've got, as you say, $500. Maybe in one month you didn't necessarily use or you didn't find something. And then that maybe accumulates over time. But you have a quick at-a-glance look. Um, and I'm sure there's tech as well that you can go in and just have that one account um, rather than than going out and establishing a new account. But this is this is, I mean, like classically the envelope method of just saying, like, hey, putting money in an envelope and this is what it's marked for. And and yeah, so so I think that's a great strategy and a great approach on a month to month basis and something very practical people can actually take away with. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What's your uh, what's your next one? Cool. My next one is um, there are no shortcuts. And so I think this is something that as I've talked to kind of various friends and families over the years, I think that oftentimes when they ask me for kind of advice and stuff, oftentimes they're kind of like fishing for like, they're not asking for a shortcut, but like, how do I get an edge or how do I like, you know, make a big jump or, you know, and unfortunately there's, there's not really any, any good ways out there to, to do that. Nothing legal that I'm aware of, you know, anything that has a potential for a great amount of reward often comes with, a great amount of risk as well. So, for instance, like uh, speculating on cryptocurrency as an example, that's like a popular one, right? You know, like buying a bunch of Bitcoin. Um, there's potential for great reward, but huge amount of risk too. And so, uh, I think you need to be aware of that, and you you shouldn't. I think something like that is not a part of an investment strategy. I think it's totally fine if you want to put a small amount of your money in there and and kind of as a way to diversify. But you should treat it as like a lottery ticket. You know, and again, the lottery is not a is not a proven strategy to reach financial success. You're probably going to lose money, and some people some people win, but odds are you're going to lose, so it's not worth it really. So anyway, yeah, I think uh, there are no shortcuts, and it really you know I think to reach financial success, you really need to a few things. One is it takes time, right? So time to not only build your own kind of processes and figure things out, but it just, you know, if you're invested in the in the market, it takes time for for those investments to compound. And that's, you know, um, compounding interest is a really kind of amazing thing. And so it, it takes time and, and and discipline and just consistent kind of behavior really is, is what it takes. I think if someone comes to you and says, hey, like I, I have this tip or you should invest with me because I'm 
going to get you better returns than, you know, in an index fund. Like, you should really be critical and, and probably run away, but you should definitely be be skeptical of that. Yeah, very, very good tip. Very good recommendation. You know, it's 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 amazing how that is the number one question that I receive about what it is that I do. For those who, who don't know, I'm a financial planner, but for those who don't know what a financial planner is or a financial advisor, they typically think, you know, uh, we were talking, I think, last last time about, you know, Wolf of Wall Street or, or just these very people who are active, money managers who are actively going out and, and covering specific companies and saying, I believe I've I believe that Ford's going to do better than GM. And people will ask me about specific securities. Um, you know, what do you think this is going to do? This biotech company or or Tesla? That's just that's a very difficult game to play. I mean, then we could spend a whole uh, conversation on on investments, but that kind of thinking of trying to get rich quick and get a shortcut is often one that uh, is is not recognizing the risks inherent there. And it, it, not to say that you can't take risks. I mean, you just have to understand what you're getting yourself into. And for a lot of folks, in the last 10 years, I mean, since 2008, and, and we did have a little bit of a scare in March 2020 with the pandemic, uh, rocking markets there. But many people have just seen an up, up market. And if you're just starting out, while that's fantastic, uh, your investment journey in, in benefiting from from the the movement of the market. It's almost healthy to have uh, some some kind of pullback in the markets, and unfortunately, people are going to get burned because they're they're just continuing to to, to pile on to things that they think or chase performance, and uh, that's that can be very dangerous again when markets uh, reverse, and that's healthy for them to do. So, uh, yeah. No, definitely. I'm trying to think, is there any other uh, ways that people potentially, uh, other than maybe trying to invest, you know, they've got a Robinhood account, they're investing in oh, the Carnival Cruise Line's down because nobody's taking cruises. Yeah. And so I think that they're going to go up. And and so maybe there's some, you know, that's a very robust company that, that you know, and, and maybe there's some truth in, to the fundamentals of that investment. But if you're planning to use that money, kind of tying this back to your goals, if you're trying to use that money uh, to buy a home in the next couple of years, you better be okay being uh, flexible with the timeline because who knows when timeline or a carnival is going to come back sure. in, in full swing. So Yeah. And I think example of some shortcuts is, you know, I think Robinhood has made the trading options pretty easy for people. I mean, well, easy as in it's easy to to trade to buy or sell an option, but not easy for people. Not I haven't used the, the product too much, so I can't say whether they do a good job explaining how options work. I mean, I, I I understand how they work. I couldn't tell you what a buy or a put or sell or a call is, but I don't know which ones which. I guess I should say. But yeah, I think that that's a type of common shortcut that people take. They think, oh, if I buy a stock, I have to, you know, it has to move up. You know, 100% for me to, to double my money. But if I buy an option, it only needs to move maybe 10% for, for me to move my money. But they don't, maybe they know this, but they try to ignore it. Well, if it moves 10% the other way, they could lose, you know, not maybe all of their money or more than all of their money, right? more than what they invest. Or same for shorting, right? If you short a stock, you can actually lose more money than you actually put in, for instance. And so, yeah, those are very dangerous ways, I think, you know, where you, because it's, you, Oftentimes they're very they're complex and they're confusing, and so it's uh, to invest in something that you truly don't understand. I mean, that's very dangerous territory, and I think uh, that's not only is it not a shortcut, it has a great potential to set you back, right? And so that's 
that's you know i don't think the only thing worse than making no progress towards a goal is is making backwards progress and you know of course if you you know if you are invested in in, in index kind of broad market index funds they're always going to be kind of markets are going to have pullbacks like you said and that that is normal and that's expected but over the long term you know the market you know, the stock market will return very well and i think that's where people should you know should be should focus all of their their energy and 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 money in and cuz that is kind of it's proven yeah, and there's other ways beyond investing uh, that, that people do this to try to you know get rich uh, quick or take the shortcut. You know, I'm thinking about maybe people flipping cars, uh, maybe people on a shorter, like a smaller scale. Maybe it's it's shoes. I know there's a huge shoe culture and and being able to okay, well, hopefully there's a buyer on the other side. I'm an investor. I'm early on. You know, I know people like in certain cases like wait in line for a ticket or a digital mm. line for a ticket and, and and try to resell and scalp. I mean, there's on eBay, different things like specific things that you can buy and sell. And usually, again, I, th- I think the crux of all this is to understand and do your research ahead of time, know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Um, businesses, franchisees, uh, real estate, there's all sorts of different ways that you can try to get rich quick and get quickly in over your head if you haven't done the, the right amount of research. Now, in every Everything we've just mentioned, there are people who are successful doing it. Absolutely, so, yeah. that's not to say that that's not a, a viable option, but it's just measure twice before you go and cut. Yeah, I think that how I distinguish that is, like you said, there are lots of opportunities, but you should treat them as a business, and a business does not succeed just by you know rushing in and impulsively you know operating the business they they have experience and if you don't have experience you need to yeah research right that's like a proxy for experience right and so yeah i think there's absolutely ways of kind of i would say increasing your earnings potential by you know buying and flipping houses or buying real estate to to rent out for instance those are very proven kind of things but i'd say it's not a shortcut to, I mean, because to do it well requires an enormous amount of, of research and experience and, and trial and error. And I think anytime you know you enter a new business, your first deal or your first year or two, several are not going to be very profitable, right? But as you build your build your skills and you increase your knowledge, like hopefully over time, you know, you you will. But again, I would consider those not not shortcuts. But yeah, if you try to take the shortcut version of it, you're just like, oh, I see this house, like it looks great. I'm going to buy it. And then I'm going to change out this thing and I'm going to sell it. Like, you know, if you treat it like a shortcut, you're going to, again, not, you're going to get the, get the, <laughs> the payback of, of a shortcut, which is nothing or, or you're going to lose money. Yeah, I was just I was just thinking about you look back at you know 2005 2006 really the height of, of the housing market and 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 how loose the lending standards were at that particular time anybody could go out and uh, you know they they might not be a, they might be a heavy risk on the on the bank side and 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 the banks lent them money and they were flipping houses and some people went out and they got they made money uh, I mean I think cryptocurrency to me is kind of the similar similar vein there i mean there's a lot of people who are very passionate about that being a long term sustainable uh, movement but yeah it's there are all sorts of ways to speculate and that's just a dangerous game to play yeah so, you want to move into the to the third goal my my third goal excuse me my third piece of rec- of advice is actually kind of a little bit similar to a point that we just touched on my third piece of advice is is to learn continuously. And I think it's a bit vague and broad, and I think it's kind of intentionally vague and broad. I think when I say learn and learn continuously, I think it's both in terms of 
it's all aspects of life. I think it's not just in your in the personal finance investing. I think well, obviously, we're talking about kind of personal finance and money, and so I think learning about it is is really important because it will help you kind of be more efficient about how you how you spend it, how you earn it, and and ultimately how you grow it and invest it. But also, I think in, on your professional side too, I think you know there's you can do a lot to try to lower your spending or control spending. But obviously, your ability to to save is a function of your earnings minus your your spending. And so, if you are able to improve your professional skills or your and your career prospects and earn more, that's going to also have a huge impact. So I think learning on the job as well as you know whatever you can do to to try to increase your earnings potential is really important. And yeah, I think it's just something that you need that you just should kind of think about all the time is, is what is some areas where I, I don't know as much and I want to know, I don't feel comfortable and where can I learn more? And I think about, you know, even as a, when you work with like a professional, I think some people might think, oh, I'll just work kind of like taxes, right? Like I don't need to know taxes. I'll just work with a, I'll just give my taxes to a CPA or I don't need to know anything about investing. I'll just hire a financial planner. And I think that is not a great approach to just offload everything to them because I think, you know, I think they are your consultants and they will give you like really great advice of what to do if you the the best way to to use a professional like a financial planner like yourself or a CPA for instance is to work with them but learn from them but truly understand the advice that they're providing you if they give you a recommendation and you just do it well. Well, you may, first of all, you might not be so likely to do it if you don't truly understand why. So I think it's important that if they tell you something, and then oftentimes they'll, you know, they might point you to a link or some resource to go, to go read that to understand why you're doing it. And I think so. And it's just really important is even if you're working with a professional, try to understand the basics and the fundamentals so that you can ask the right questions too, like so that you can hire the right person and find the most competent person. You need to have some level, I think, of just basic understanding so that you can kind of uh, see if, if their uh, advice and, and style kind of fits your needs. Yeah. Not only that, but also the value that they're providing, is it worth the fee that they charge? And so there's a lot, um, and again, this could be its own own episode, but there's a lot of folks out there in the financial industry who are selling products and they're charging a lot. Uh, they're getting hidden commissions. There's there's all sorts of, you know, they're, ch- they're charging 1% of your money that they're managing. You don't necessarily see the bill, but that's taken out of the long-term returns and, and it has a big impact. I and mean, likely they're, they're getting paid regardless of the market's going up, down, or, or sideways. So, just understanding, you know, what what are your options out there? And and, and I think there's not to get uh, this. Also, could be another episode, but like in terms of hacks, like is there a way to get the same thing for less? The first thing that really comes up on top of my mind would be property and casualty insurance. What you're paying for on your car insurance. It's just good to, to every couple of years to just go out. I know it's not the most glamorous, and I know it's not the most fun, but go out and just price out what you're paying on an annual basis, on a monthly basis, um, or a semi-annual basis, uh, because you could find that um, for whatever reason, they seem to charge for loyalty. And so sure. that, that bill can really creep up. And so that could be a, an easy way to maybe save some money there. And so again, engaging the process of just learning and going through the steps mm-hmm. uh, to be an engaged participant in whatever service that you are a buyer of is so critical to ensure that you're not being taken for a ride and, and that you understand the value and, and the expertise that that other party or the service or whatever is actually delivering. Um, yeah. So. yeah, I am. Um, absolutely. I kind of forgot one other point I wanted to talk about why I think learning continuously is important is in, in our society, we kind of spend the first 
what, 15, 20 years of like in school and the concept of education, everyone understands it's like, yeah, it's very important education, right? Every education, education, education. And then you go out and get your first job and then there's no longer any emphasis on education anymore. I mean, yes, some people might, you know, go back for a master's or very few, maybe a PhD or an MBA, but there isn't this culture of, of education after you get your first job. And I think that's, uh, I think that's unfortunate. And I think also, the educational kind of opportunities, at least with traditional education, are just not quite there. They're not quite, I think, to be honest, I don't think they're really the best posed to really help someone now in terms of, you know, if you think about when you start your career and you're like in your early, mid-20s, but, you know, you're potentially working for, you know, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? And so, the concept that you could learn everything you needed in the last 15-year period to carry you through the next 40 years is, is kind of, I think, kind of crazy. And I think you see now how it's difficult, how just, you know, globalization and, and technology and things change, that what the market needs in terms of skills change all the time. And so, you can't, it's unrealistic, I think, for many people to expect to work the same job and career for their whole life. I think you need to constantly educate yourself um, and look around, look what skills are needed and find opportunities to, to do that. And I think that, that also just applies to, to personal finance and money because actually, you know, you never learned any of that in school probably at all. You probably not, you, maybe you got a little bit of that just kind of subconsciously from your parents and your upbringing, but maybe you also got some less, you know, or not so great kind of uh, lessons in there about maybe, you know, maybe your parents didn't follow some of the advice that, that we're providing today. And so, you'll have to sort of unlearn those, right? And I think, you know, so I think that's just something that uh, is, is really important uh, because, you know, things change all the time and you have to just adapt and, and, and learn to, to stay ahead. Yeah. I mean, just how the rapid pace things are changing these days that even incumbents that have been around for, for years and years are really starting. The, the world is being turned over by uh, competitors, which is maybe good for society, but can be on a micro level, can be really jarring for somebody that's, again, had that job for so long and dependent on that job. And now they have to retool, reskill. And if they haven't necessarily been doing that in other areas of their life, that can be uh, really challenging. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. You know, I look at my, my profession and there are mandates of uh, continuing education. But even then, you know, you've got to have uh, 24 hours in two years or, or, you know, however many hours, whatever certification you're talking about. But even then there are still ways where you could just be present, but not actually be learning anything and just kind of phone it in. And mm-hmm. so that's really why I like doing what I do is just because there's so many different things that are changing. I mean, you look at the tax law that's changed. I mean, over the last couple of years, you got the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the oh, CARES yeah. Act, the American Rescue Plan. There's all sorts of things, the SECURE Act. I mean, there's just so many things that are changing. That's a full-time job, staying staying on top of tax and IRS changes and stuff. Right. Right. And, and so that that leads me to my third uh, recommendation, which is really having an awareness of what drives financial opportunity. And this is classically, this is what I do. This is really the, the heart of what I do is understanding what are the levers in your particular life that move the needle, that move the financial needle. And so, you know, I've had clients who maybe were working somewhere that uh, maybe it was an hourly job and they took the investment or, you know, put in the time 
time, whatever the resource is to learn things on the side. Maybe they're going to school at night or, you know, whatever, online schooling, figuring out ways to level themselves up in their career and earn more dollars and then employ the strategies we just talked about earlier, which is taking those savings, setting them aside, maybe on a, a frequent basis where they're just going to a separate account automatically where you don't even see the dollars and you can't spend them. And then that sets you up to be financially successful in the future. But understanding, you know, what are those levers? Is it taking, if you're working again to that hourly job, or is it, is it taking a couple more hours, uh, working some overtime and again, just socking that away or investing that into education? You know, is it, is it when you get a cash bonus or, you know, a bonus at the end of the year, you know, making sure that you're, you're not spending all of that on, you know, we got to remodel the deck or something like that. Maybe you do have to remodel a deck or, or get a new deck, but you know, maybe it's, it's better used to be seed money for compounding capital, uh, over time. And, um, yeah, so just taking a critical look and it can be difficult to understand or discern out the gate. And that's why I think it's important to kind of go back to the earlier steps and just having a good awareness of where you stand. Uh, you know, what are the things and, and maybe you find a, a gigantic hole in your budget where it's like, Holy cow, I didn't realize I spent mm-hmm. that much money and that could be a needle mover. So, yeah, no, uh, that's a great point. I think sometimes, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, I don't say a lot of time, but I enjoy different kind of subreddits around personal finance and stuff. And I think it can be easy sometimes for people to kind of scrutinize or over-optimize like a very narrow part of their whole kind of financial picture and miss something that's like very kind of obvious, right? Like, you know, maybe they're, they're optim- just trying to like optimize their grocery budget or something or like, like I need to, I want to spend, you know, less than, you know, a hundred dollars a week in grocery or whatever. But then they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're commuting like, uh, you know, 45 minutes each way, uh, on, on a, via car, uh, spending all this gas insurance. Well, maybe like they could find a job that's like close enough that they could walk or bike to, you know, obviously that's a pretty big lifestyle change. You know, I understand people need cars for other reasons, but something like that, where it's like, well, you're still spending a huge amount of money on this area and they haven't really thought about like, or questioned that, you know? And so I think it's important to look at everything, right? Look at, you know, where you're spending all of your money and then all of also where all your money coming in from. And for most people, that's maybe just their, um, their and their partners, if that, you know, if they share finances, it's their, their kind of primary income, but maybe there's other sources too. Maybe they have some side businesses, but um, yeah, I think it's important to look at everything and, and question everything, um, you know, the hefty amount of consideration. And I think yeah, oftentimes there will be things that uh, initially didn't strike them as an opportunity, but will you know, upon further investigation, will give them some, some ob- opportunities. Yeah. And it could be, again, as simple as, is, is like you're saying, taking a, a, a keen eye to the budget and trying to optimize a larger, you know, rather than the, the common, you know, if you, if you stop buying that coffee a day, you know, that could lead, you could be a millionaire. Well, why don't you take a look at the big spending items first? How about we start there? And those are, those are needle movers. So maybe that's a hot take there. But the other thing, you know, of course, just simply if you're, uh, if you, if your employer offers a 401k or some sort of retirement vehicle and they offer a match and they're incentivizing you to contribute as well, like that right there, that's a needle mover. I, I'm working with a client that has, uh, was very fortunate to be in, in a, a nonprofit or government job where they have got a pension. And so I know this is not speaking to a lot of people, perhaps in the audience, but that under Understanding the implications of having a pension, assuming you work in that type of job or a job similar where that offer that is offered, that is is an, is another big needle mover, and that can allow you to think of think of your finances very differently in the time leading up to retirement, uh, and even in retirement. So, if you've got a guaranteed 
slice of income with with Social Security. And uh, well, I know it remains to be seen what that actually is going to look like in the future as, as, as some of the younger folks end up uh, getting older with the bigger needs on, on, on the system there, the strain of the baby boomers there. But you know, when you've got some semblance of social security, uh, and, and this pension, you can think of things, okay, well now you've got all of the dollars that you put into your retirement accounts, you can be a little bit more flexible. And so, uh, in some cases it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm saving too much. And I don't think we've, we haven't really touched on that too much, but, uh, cause it's not often the case, but if I'm saving too much, well, maybe there's room for me to enjoy a little bit of, of today. So, yeah, taking a critical eye on what exactly are the big points, housing, where you live, the, the commuting costs. I, I just was in a, a, a webinar the other day and, and taxes uh, account for is a bigger expenditure than like food, clothing. I want to say, you know, another it was another like very large uh, section. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, so yeah, there's ways, you know, again, hiring somebody that's competent, maybe there's opportunities to lower the tax bill by contributing to retirement accounts and, and so forth. Um, so, so yeah, this is all sorts of different things to look at, um, which is, you know, it can be hard to maybe apply it to your particular situation, but there are definitely ways to say like, Hey, I'm spending a lot of money on X. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, Right now, kind of going through a shift, I mean, in terms of companies allowing employees to work remotely or work from home, and obviously it depends on your industry, but I think for a lot of people in my industry, I work in, in software, I think that's a very fortunate opportunity for many people to, to reevaluate where they live and where they want to work. And, um, you know, obviously there's many factors in deciding where you want to live. And oftentimes there's, you know, friends and family and then just gen- general lifestyle. But you know where you live has probably the, one of the biggest impacts on on your on your expenses, right? In terms of your cost of living and your you know your rent, and then you know where you live is going to also determine what kind of needs you have in terms of transportation. So I think transportation and rent are probably the two largest expenses for most people outside of you know any kind of debt that they have. So yeah, I think kind of considering that, like if if you live in a very high cost of living place and your company allows you to to work from home or work remotely, or maybe you can you know work from a different office and keep kind of your same uh, income, like take a look at that. And I think um, not only can that have great financial benefits, I think there's just often other great benefits of having new experiences, you know. And so questioning that and picking a new a new place or a new city that has a lower cost of living but has plenty of things to do. So. Well said. Well said. Well, um, I, I think maybe it's good to uh, talk about the, the advice that we would give our, our 10 year younger self and see how that, uh, if that may be any different than all of the things we just discussed. Uh, I kind of put you on the spot there, Lauren. Do sure. you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. You know, um, thought about this one a little bit. And uh, I think the thing is, Kind of comes back to my my first piece of advice, or you know, which was uh, setting setting goals. And uh, you know, when I was younger, and I think this is a challenge for for everyone who's kind of young, is like you know, they're they're learning so much about the world, learning about themselves. I think it's it's very hard to I think kind of hone in on a goal. Early out of college, I I didn't find a job here in the states that really kind of excited me, and I had just done a bunch of traveling, um, and I just. My, I mean, I guess it's a goal. You could say it's a goal. My goal was just to like live abroad, and like I, I guess that is a goal. But I had no concept of a, any type of longer term goal. And um, you know, I think things worked out very well. I'm very happy with where I am, and I have no regrets. But I think I, I sometimes have flashbacks, like wow, things could have gone so differently, and it almost wouldn't have 
not that I wouldn't have had a, a hand in that, or I wouldn't have been able to guide it, but I feel like there's so many other factors that could have guided me the other way. So just as an example was, I decided that I wanted to, to live in Taiwan. I visited there for a little bit, but I traveled around kind of Southeast Asia and I had some family in Taiwan, My a family member was living there. And so I was able to, to live with her and my nieces and nephews there, which is a great opportunity. But I was willing to kind of take any job I could find really. Like I was like, I was willing to take an, an English teaching job. And, you know, a lot of people do that for a year or two and then, you know, switch careers or something like that. But then there's also people who kind of do that and then find themselves doing that five or six years later, right? And still kind of earning a very minimal amount, just enough to kind of live there, but not really making any progress towards any kind of goal. And so I think while I was I was very fortunate to find a, a role kind of more related to what I had studied and, and, and kind of in the, related to software, which in the industry I'm in now, I, I feel that uh, if I had gotten a, a job offer from a teaching place that maybe was a little bit more compelling than the one that I did, I might have taken that, for instance, and I might have, uh, you know, and so not, not to say that it would have, my life would have been drastically different necessarily, but I think if I, if I had a little bit more, um, not say discipline, but if I had set a, a more thought more introspectively, like, what do I want to achieve? What do I want to do? Um, in the next, you know, one to five years, I think, uh, I feel more confident. I would have kind of ended up in the, in the place that would have now, I guess. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a long-winded answer, and uh, but uh, yeah, I think just the importance of, of setting goals. And again, even if they change, I think that that's totally fine. But I think it's just important to have goals so that you can feel that you've really have a, a, a hand in deciding how your your life is kind of playing out. Yeah, and, and to reiterate, like it's not just about what society or what your family or your friends uh, what their goals are, but like you said, to reiterate the point, it's it's what you want to do uh, and and what brings the passion for you to lead a, a balanced, a sustainable lifestyle in the future, um, I think is super important. So, uh, so, so setting those goals earlier uh, or having those milestones, is, it sounds like that was important. Uh, Absolutely. Point. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm curious to hear about how about you? What, uh, what is your advice that you would give your younger self? Yeah. Well, it, I mean, along those lines about, about setting milestones and, and, um, not being dictated by what society is, is to say, I, I mean, and I shared this in the, uh, the origin stories or last episode. So if you haven't done so, uh, be, be sure to, after this one, go back and listen to that one. But for me, I thought that money was a destination. I thought that, you know, if you had a million dollars growing up, like, oh my gosh, if I just had a million dollars, I would just be so much more happy. And that is, is, is not a healthy mindset. It is definitely not a, a destination. And, and, um, you know, I, I had 10, so 10 years ago, you know, basically getting out of college is still under the, the thought that, oh my gosh, look at all these, these people who have all this money. I, I want to help them. I want to try to be able to optimize and, and, uh, make an impact, um, and, and learn a little bit more like what made them get to this point. And, and maybe yeah. there's a little nugget here, or there that I could, that I could maybe use in the future. And I, I quickly realized that, you know, high earners, I mean, it's just like, anybody else. I mean, there's, there's problems all around and, and, sure. and money does not necessarily solve your problems. It could multiply them. There could be a lot of uh, complexity. 
you know, if you look at uh, some folks who work long hours uh, and, and maybe they have a lifestyle that necessitates them to continue to work those long hours. Sure. I'm thinking about lawyers, you know, being a partner at a law firm, the amount of hours that they have to work and, and just the structure there, or, or maybe it's being a doctor. You know, if you've I mean, famously, a, a lot of a lot of clients, and there's a blanket statement, of course. Uh, not every doctor's like this. I want to want to preface that, but <laughs> the the thought process is, oh my gosh, I've I've been earning really terrible wages, right. if, if if at all, and I've been going to school for this many years. Finally, start to get some money yeah. coming in, and they can just really spend, spend, spend. So, uh, you know, it's it's obviously living within your means. But going back to the point for the recommendation for for me, it's it's it there even these milestones they they do not necessarily uh, it's not like magically you're just going to become happier it's it just allows people it's a tool that allows people to uh, have have new opportunities and new options in their life which is great and and some people can take that and, and that could mean that could translate into happiness because you're going and, and maybe pursuing things that you're more passionate about mm-hmm. um, but in other ways uh, you know trying to really work in an unsustainable way and burn yourself out and you hit this milestone and you know you shave 10 years off of your life because you've been uh, just been working too too crazy so uh, yeah just just getting a, a healthier balance with money it's, it's a tool and it's not necessarily the end all be all. Absolutely. You know, I think it's in some ways it's if, if you uh, are able to have a, a healthy and, and happy lifestyle, I think oftentimes you're much more likely to get the, the finances to go the right way. Also, I think a lot of people who, like you mentioned earlier about consumerism, materialism, I think that behavior often manifests in people who are generally unhappy, right? Maybe they have a really stressful job and they come home and they're like, oh, like, okay, like today was stressful. And then they just, they go, like they go online shopping and they buy a bunch of stuff, right? You know, and it's, uh, I can imagine for anyone who doesn't, you know, have a lot of free time or a lot of enjoyment in what they do every day to day that they, you know, like buying things is a, is a way to, to, to try to get that enjoyment, but it's often very kind of short lived. And so if you, I think if you are able to, to find happiness in your lives and figure out what, figure out what you truly enjoy for a lot of people, it, it doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money, right? Maybe it's, it's spending time with your friends and family, you know, having a barbecue or uh, going to you know their, their house and having, you know, preparing dinner or something like that. Something's very simple can provide a lot of happiness and it can kind of, you know, I think then if you're, if you feel good and you're happy, I think you're much, much better to much more likely to make better financial choices. Yeah. Well said. Very well said. So maybe what we do now is just recap what we said, uh, just, just quick bullet yeah, points and then uh, we, can, we can let the people on their way again, Lauren, not to put you on, <laughs> throw you under sure. the bus here, but if you want to recap your, your th- uh, three, well, I guess four. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think, uh, the first one, and I guess not in any particular order, but, um, you know, setting goals is is just really important. I think if you don't have a goal in mind, you're, you're never going to get anywhere. And so I think setting goals is really important. And then the second part of that is, is choosing those goals yourself. So don't choose the goal that your friends or your family or society or the government is telling you to, to do, figure out what, you know, do some introspection, set some goals yourself, pick them yourself. It's okay if they change, but yeah, set, set goals and, and choose them yourself. The second one is there are no easy shortcuts with anything that has potential that looks 
like a very promising, very uh, uh, highly rewarding uh, kind of investment or some sort of thing, it, it probably comes with a lot more risk. You know, cryptocurrency is an example. So, you know, I think the key to financial success is really about uh, discipline and and time, um, and that's you know just constantly investing in, in the stock market using low-cost index funds. And you know, there are other other vehicles, um, and they all have certain places in your portfolio. This is kind of the, should be, the I think, the, the primary investment for most people. And so, anytime people are they, trying to find some sort of edge, you know, I think you should look elsewhere. And the last one is to to learn and educate yourself continuously, both in you know the financial financial matters, but also just in professional and just other life skills. I think it's important. You know, people have quite a long life to live for the most part, for usually, and uh, we all we, we put a lot of focus on education early in life. But I think there's not enough focus on education throughout the life, throughout the rest of your life. And I think um, to uh, to be able to reach financial success, you need to constantly learn, um, improve your skills um, in, in, in all parts of your life. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, my top uh, recommendations uh, for financial success um, look like, uh, you know, living below your means, having an awareness of what is it cost to live each month. Uh, and then from there, we can better understand, all right, if we want to get to a certain 5%, 10% savings number, being able to know what that looks like, uh, then can help inform and, and move you in the direction towards your goals. Um, even if you don't have that very well fleshed out right now, having that flexibility is, is, is important uh, by living below your means. Uh, second one, uh, avoid consumerism or materialism. The keeping up with the Joneses, I mean, th this is so uh, critical. It can be very easy, especially if you know, you've know you got a very tight community or very tight uh, friend set uh, you know, or colleagues that are, that are in a specific industry and, and you know maybe you're in sales and you have to keep up appearances because you're meeting with clients and so you've got to drive always the latest car and stuff like that so uh try your best uh to avoid consumerism and materialism uh and to really only focus on things that actually bring joy uh and, and spark joy in your life mm -hmm. uh the the last one is having an awareness of what drives financial opportunity what are those key levers that drive success uh you know it could be as small as um again participating in your company's uh retirement plan and, and it, taking advantage of the match uh taking a, a a critical look at your budget and seeing if there is one area that is is outsized and and maybe you're you know Pennywise, pound foolish type of a, a mentality, and, and maybe take a look at more of those major points, uh, and, and maybe that sparks some questions that you have about, you know, do I need to be driving this car? Do I need to be living in this type of uh, a house or apartment or whatever? Uh, and, and and that could be, you know, a difficult decision, but something at least to have an awareness of and uh, what how it impacts your finances. And, and the last bit that I'll say for for myself was just that money is a tool and not necessarily, you know this key to happiness. So there's, there's definitely ways that you can be, uh, have a, have a really enjoyable, uh, life when you don't have a bunch of money in the bank. So, um, yeah, understanding that relationship that it doesn't necessarily have to be money that gets you that, uh, happiness point in your life. Well, great. Yeah. Thanks for your time, Lauren. As always, uh, I think, uh, you know, very, very exciting topic to, to talk about and I uh, look forward to the next conversation. Yeah, this was fun. I'll see you later. Okay. Bye-bye. We're a new podcast, so it would mean the world to us if you took a moment to write a review in the Apple Podcasts app or shared this episode with a friend or family member. 
We also want to hear from you. Is there a topic you're interested in? Have feedback for us? Email us at feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Thanks and see you next time.